Alright. Hear me out alright? Excellent. Isn't it a wonderful thing to know that you're forgiven? Set free. Free to come in the presence of our amazing Lord and God. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this opportunity to be in your presence today. May we have ears to hear, hearts to know, to, to listen, to understand, and um, follow you and your ways. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if I give you a couple of well-known names... I'd like you to think, when I say the name, is this Christian or non-Christian? So, Royal Flying Doctor Service, Christian or non-Christian? Lifeline, Christian or non-Christian? Halloween, Christian or non-Christian? Well, they all started off as Christian events or organisations. But along the way, they lost their focus on Jesus. Somewhere along the line, um, Jesus has somehow been pushed out of the picture. Not that they still don't, particularly the Royal Flying Doctor Service and Lifeline still have, you know, a wonderful role playing, role to play. But you know. Maybe if Lifeline saves someone from suicide, that's fantastic, but at the end of the day, if they still end up in hell, that's a tragedy. And God feels the pain of every lost soul. So, Halloween, for example, um, in, that is Old English for um, All Saints' Eve. Because the following day, November the 1st, is All Saints Day, which was All Hallows Day. Because Hallows means saint or holy. So originally it was an event where Halloween was an event where you were purging yourself and your household of evil and evil things um, before All Saints Day. Whereas now... Halloween seems to be more of a celebration of evil than a, <laughs> than a purging of evil. So many good things in our society were started off through men and women that had a godly vision, endeavour, but along the way the focus somehow shifted away from God. They weren't centred on God anymore. And I know in my last sermon I talked a little bit about pottery and I know when I used to use the potter's wheel, when I made something on the potter's wheel, it was very important that you centred the clay on the wheel. Because if you're just keeping it even a little bit off centre, the pot starts getting wobbly, 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 and the more you try and do it, whoop, collapses. Or worst case scenario, if you're not paying attention, the whole thing can go flying off and splat on the nearest thing. <laughs> so it isn't pretty. <laughs> Makes a bit of a mess. So today, 
I want to examine what centers our church, our vision, our mission on, on Christ. So we're going to have a little bit of a walk through the scriptures, um, in the New Testament in particular, to see what Jesus did, what the disciples did, the early church did, to further the kingdom of God, to outreach people that don't know Jesus yet. So, when we follow um, along the way, we'll discover what Jesus and the disciples and the early church did Um, in in their ministry to reach out and expand the kingdom of God. So what is the foundation of Jesus' ministry? What did he say it was about? Well, um, when we look at the Gospel of Luke, if we follow that through, Jesus had been baptised by John in the water. Holy Spirit had come upon him. The Spirit led him out into the wilderness and then he went and started preaching in the synagogues. And he came to the synagogue in his hometown, Nazareth, and read out from the prophet Isaiah and read the following words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. And that the time of the Lord's favour has come. And then he said, the scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Imagine you're sitting there and you hear this and you go, wow, how could this be? So there's a few things that Jesus points out that he's claiming here from Isaiah. That he's talking about what his ministry is going to be about. What his ministry focus is going to be on. So the first thing he says is to bring good news to the poor. Well, what's what's good news? What's he talking about? What's the good news about? Well, the first thing is, he says, the captives are released. Well, released from what? The Bible tells us that we were once slaves to sin, but now are set free to be in the presence of God by what Jesus has done, obviously later in his ministry, and worship him in spirit and in truth. And I know that's one of the first things that struck me about this church is I've been to um, some churches where they've emphasised the, the working of the spirit and they don't seem to worry too much about what the scriptures teach or being bibli- biblically accurate and go to other churches where... They're all about the Bible and almost obsessed with the Bible and getting it right and arguing about the scriptures and almost ignore the movement of the spirit. But the Bible says we need to worship him in spirit and truth. We need to know the truth 
But that is really only revealed to us fully by the scripture to help us understand what it really means to understand how Jesus applied it, how the disciples applied it in their lives and in the world around them. And so that's what I'm hoping to bring to you, part of what we're hoping to see today. Because the next thing is the blind will see. So he's talking about bringing healing, not just physical healing. He said heart, healing the heart, the soul, the mind, the will, understanding, to see the truth. He has come to bring true healing so that we can be made whole again. Not just physically. As he says, we're to worship him with our heart, mind, soul and strength. So, if one of those things hasn't been healed or hasn't been touched by the healing of Jesus, hasn't been set free, then we can't fully worship him. God is interested in all of you. He wants to bring his healing into your life. To receive healing from our past hurts and pains and sorrows and so much more to help us forgive as he's forgiven us and for people that have had terrible things happen in their lives that can be one of the hardest things now doctors and therapists try but there's no healing no healing power like that of our loving God and that he sets the oppressed free the oppressed are set free. Well, who is the Lord of oppression? We know Satan and his demonic henchmen want to oppress us. The battle is in the church. He doesn't care about the ones that are ignoring him already. He wants to kill and destroy those who have given their hearts to God. So Jesus has come to destroy the power of the devil and the power that he has over us, which is sin. And he dealt with that as we just discovered through communion on the cross. He bore our sin in his body, removed it completely. And he overcame the result. He overcame the result of sin. When he was resurrected from the dead. He was given the keys to death and Hades. He is Lord, he is Lord and has achieved victory over death. How is this all going to happen? Jesus says, well, the time of the Lord's favour has come. So that's referring to the... Um, oh, my gone blank. The year of Jubilee in um, ancient Israel where all debts are forgiven so that'd be nice wouldn't it home loan, gone <laughs> credit card, gone it's, you know, it's great to be freed of just financial debt let alone the debt of our life to God because of what Jesus has done on the cross that is the good news and that's what we want to hear and talk about that Jesus has 
released us from the power of sin and death. So we can see from these things that Jesus says his ministry is going to be, it can be sort of summarised in three headings. One, healing. He has the power to heal us and bring wholeness to all of our lives. Deliverance. He comes with the power to deliver us and overcome the powers of darkness. And we sung a few of those songs today about that there is a real battle. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So that's where the real battle is as far as Jesus is concerned. And our society outside is largely blind of the spiritual world. But as far as God's concerned, that's where the battle is. But the good news again, of course, that's the third thing. The good news message has the power to turn our lives back to God and strike down and defeat the enemy. So that's what. Je- so we just looked at what Jesus said he was going to do, but what did he actually do? Did he actually do what he said? Of course he did. So if we read further in Luke, into Luke 7, verse 21 22, John sent his disciples to speak to Jesus, to ask him, are you the Messiah we're expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and he restored sight to many who were blind. And then he told John's disciples, Go back to John and tell him what you've seen and what you've heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. So, what's he saying here to John's disciples? He's identified his ministry as that of the Messiah. Jesus tells John's disciples to go back and tell him what you've seen and what you've heard. In other words, tell him what I'm actually doing. In verse 21, we hear that Jesus cured many people of their diseases, restored sight of those that were blind, the lame walk, leprosy is cured, the deaf hear, and they're all evidence of Jesus' healing ministry. And then in verse 21, it points out also that Jesus cured many people of evil spirits, which is his deliverance ministry. And finally in verse 22, he adds, he is proclaiming the good news to the poor. So these things are all going hand in hand, supporting one another as part of Jesus spreading the message of of God and who he is and what God's doing for Israel. And finally in verse, uh, sorry, also in verse 22, all three of these things are powerfully witnessed to when he talks about Jesus raising the dead back to life. This shows the power of 
His good news word to heal and deliver someone even from death to life and reveal who he is because everyone knows only God has the power over life and death. And we heard in um, Alex's message in communion when Naaman went to the king and brought the letter of recommendation, he tore his clothes and said, only God can do something like this. Only, only God has the power of life and death. And the people knew that. So you can't get a more powerful sign than raising someone from the dead to show that basically you are God. Or that God is working through you. So we see that Jesus' evidence of his messianic ministry can be categorised in three main areas. His healing ministry, power to heal and make whole. His deliverance ministry, power to deliver from evil, from the devil and his plans. Preaching the good news to the poor, so the power to change people's hearts and minds to believe and bring them back to God. Were these the only areas of ministry that Jesus participated in? No. We know from reading through the Gospels that he performed many signs and wonders, particularly showing his lordship over creation. He also gave words of knowledge, wisdom, teaching and much more. But it is clear that his main focus and priority for his ministry when he was... um, trying to let people know what God is doing, his outreach, his um, way of turning people to God, was in using these three main areas. So, in, in fact, out of the 37 miracles of Jesus recorded in the Bible, 28 of them are either healing, deliverance, or raising the dead. There's only three that are raising the dead, but um, still it's pretty amazing. And then the, there were nine other signs and wonders showing that Jesus was Lord over creation and showing that he was God. Things like walking on the ocean, calming the sea, turning water to wine, those sorts of things. So, was this just something that Jesus did? Um, or is this something, a pattern he's showing us for the church to follow? What did his disciples say and do? When Mark 16, 17, 18, Jesus says that the signs that signs would accompany those who believe. And in Mark 16, 20, and the disciples went everywhere and preached, preaching the good news, and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. So the miraculous signs. It's like God confirming that this is a genuine message of God. And then um, we know the story of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came powerfully upon them with a mighty wind of the Spirit and tongues of fire. Um, the first thing, what's the first thing that Peter did? He came forward and boldly preached the good news about salvation through Jesus who Jesus was and also said to the huge crowd there, people of Israel, listen in Acts 2 22 God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders and signs through him 
as you well know. So Peter is saying here that God was deliberately approving of Jesus by working powerful miracles, signs and wonders through him. So Peter is saying that God's ministry was being... Um, that God was authenticating his ministry of the, through the miraculous um, that he was doing through Jesus. And then if we follow further down in verse 43... We hear about some of the important things that were happening in the early church. There was a deep sense of awe came over them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. So now, um, it's not just Peter, but the other apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And then, following that, going from Acts 2 into Acts 3, Peter heals um, when Peter and John went into the temple they healed a lame man and then Peter preached the good news again to all those who came to see and wonder about the healed man so again we see there's a pattern of God being of, of, of how God is reaching out and bringing his message to the people through the good news and the signs and wonders and then we see if we keep following on in Acts 4, the leaders, the Sadducees and the, and the leaders of the temple tell them, no, you can't do this anymore, don't do it. So what do the believers do? They got together and prayed for more boldness to proclaim the word of God. Well, what about Paul? Did he follow the same pattern? Let's have a look at what he says in Romans in, in chapter 15. Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by my way, by, sorry, by the way of I worked among them. So two things, by his message and the way he worked among them. And then he explains how he worked among them. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, however you say that, which is a region in northeast Italy. So over a vast area, Paul is saying that unless we preach the good news in the power of the Holy Spirit with signs and wonders, we are not fully presenting the good news of Christ. And I know I've just had to put an essay in this week looking at um, the beliefs um, and practices of the CRC movement in the church, in the Bible, and in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And in my research, one of the things I, I read, um, one of Leo's sermons that he gave on what the, uh, from a conference in 1963, um, about um, the Christian Revival Crusade, its call and challenge. So he was talking about what are we all about and its concept. And he was talking about the importance of preaching the good news, about scriptural foundations, about um, the power of the Holy Spirit and miracles, um, deliverance, He was saying the same things at the Gospels because he'd been reading his Bible and thinking, well, 
hang on a minute, why isn't this thing, why isn't this happening anymore? And that's why he named it the Revival Crusade because he wanted to revive what he saw as the scriptural pattern and also the pattern from Jesus, the disciples and the early church. He wanted to see that come back into the church. He wanted to have a revived, an authentic church of God and to be able to change our nation for Christ. And he saw that this was the foundational thing that could do that. So in summary, Jesus focused on three key areas of ministry, which are preaching the good news to the poor, healing, deliverance, and I reckon so should we. Now, we may not have all those things yet, but when there's, you know, um, I spoke about the testimony of Frank this morning, and we got baptised, I'd have to look up on my certificate, we got baptised together, so it was a very special day. And, um, you know, it was one of his big concerns that he wasn't baptised in the Holy Spirit. And, and he says in his testimony that he was a bit miffed when I got <laughs> baptised. But Daryl kept on encouraging him. Just, all right, you just don't want it enough. And, ask, you know, maybe we've got to ask ourselves that question. Uh, are these things not happening enough because we don't want them enough? We don't believe it enough. We're not pressing in enough. So it's been two years of that for Frank. And I know one of the things that God has been telling us is to wait on the Lord. So I think he's waiting for us. <laughs> waiting for us to be ready. So... Well, you might say, well, what can I do? Surely this doesn't apply to me, does it? How can I apply this in, in my life? Well, have you heard about David in the Old Testament? Who was he? Well, I know we've heard, most of us have read the full story of King David. But what if we were back at the start? I mean, Jesse, his own father, didn't even think it was too much. He left him in front of the sheep, looking after the sheep. He didn't think God would choose him. He was just a shepherd boy. But he was a shepherd boy who fearlessly believed and trusted in God to overcome all things and lead him to victory. And boy, didn't he achieve some victories. Who doesn't know the story of David and Goliath? That was just the beginning. And his life wasn't all plain sailing, that's for sure. But he was known as a man after God's own heart. I'm just going to read some of Psalm 89 to see what God says about David and what the Lord did for David. So in verses 3 and 4 it says, The Lord said, I have made a covenant with David, my chosen servant. I have sworn this oath to him. I will establish your descendants as kings forever. 
They will sit on your throne from now until eternity. Wow. What an amazing promise. And we know, does God, we know men don't keep their promises, but has there been a time when God hasn't kept one of his promises? No, there hasn't. And then if we go down to verse 19. Long ago you spoke in a vision to your faithful people. You said, I have raised up a warrior. I have selected him from the common people to be king. I have found my servant David. I have anointed him with my holy oil. I will steady him with my hand. With my powerful arm, I will make him strong. His enemies will not defeat him, nor will the wicked overpower him. I will beat down his adversaries before him and destroy those who hate him. My faithfulness and unfailing love will be with him. And by my authority, he will grow in power. I will extend his rule over the sea, his dominion over the rivers, and he will call out to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. I will make him my firstborn son, the mightiest king on earth. I will love him and be kind to him forever. My covenant with him will never end. I will preserve an heir for him. His throne will be as endless as the days of heaven. Wow. (laughs) Wow, wow, wow. God's covenant is with his people will last forever. We see in the covenant with David that God's gift and his call are irrevocable. God called a young man from among his people. He gave him gifts. He bestowed strength. He anointed him. He promised that his love would be with him and that he would maintain that love to him forever. He says, my covenant with him will never fail. I will establish his line forever, his throne as long as the heavens endure. Now, the promise was originally given to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and repeated many times. Then later, the book of Isaiah, what was promised to David is promised to Israel in Isaiah 55. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. Paul shows us clearly that all this has been fulfilled in Jesus. He writes, we tell you the good news. What God has promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. That's in Acts 13. He goes on to quote Isaiah 55, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. These same promises are for us too. Not just for David. God promises that he will maintain his love for you forever and that through Jesus you inherit all the blessings promised to David. You are loved. You are anointed. You are set apart. He will give you strength. Your calling is irrevocable. So God did choose you and he can use you just like he did with David. 
and do amazing things. I mean, if we look at some of the other characters in the, in the Bible, even it says about Jesus, he didn't appear as anything, anyone particularly important or exceptional or of note. He wasn't. Um, he was born in a stable, not in, in a palace. But what he was was fully surrendered. He was fully submitted, fully committed, fully obedient, and fully loved by the Father. And all he came into contact with. What about the disciples? Mainly fishermen. They weren't nobles or intellectuals or elite, but God chose them to be their foundation from whom he would evangelise the world. How many people got here today? Two, four, six, eight, nearly twelve. <laughs> he started the whole church from twelve people. So, yeah, we only expect to do about half of what they did, don't we? Be right. Ah, we can do more. <laughs> and what's more, God has chosen you to be His disciple. In this place to bring his love, joy and peace to a world that is crying out to see his kingdom come. You might say, well, who am I that God can use me? Exactly. That's the point. Who were the disciples? They didn't know too much at the start. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter what you think about yourself, but what's important is what God says about you. Who are you going to believe? God says, you are mine. You're my dear child, holy, anointed, forgiven. You're made unique and special. I've chosen you from all the peoples of the earth to be my witnesses to who I am and what I can do. So never believe you are nothing because God, to God, you are everything. To him, and he has proved it by laying his life down on the cross, so that all our sin, all our mistakes, all our date, doubts, failures are forgiven, dealt with, gone, finished. Do you really believe it? Then take up your cross and follow him. To wherever he leads us, may we only ever say yes to Jesus. And all the people said, Amen. Say it like you believe it. Amen. Again, amen. <laughs> the same Holy Spirit power that lives in Jesus and the apostles, that healed the sick, delivered people from the clutches of demons, preached the good news about Jesus, and raised the dead to life, is living in us and all who believe through his Holy Spirit. So let's get on board with what Jesus is doing and how he wants to use us. Amen.